Good morning, my section. Happy Sunday, Platt Park. Welcome. How are you? Good. It's allowed. We can talk in church. Welcome to week four on our series on Sabbath. What is it? The seventh day. What does it look like to keep it holy? Is there anything I can learn about it that I should maybe consider incorporating in life as I go forward? On week one, Susie helped lay the foundation for the Sabbath. She kind of introduced the concept of it. And in week two, she took us a little bit further and introduced us into a couple ways that we can practice and better incorporate it in our own life. And then last week, Tim brought an axe. Maybe you remember, it was like dual-sided. I haven't seen anything like that before. And I thought that was pretty cool. So I brought a chainsaw. No, I didn't bring it actually, a chainsaw. But I do, but last week, Tim kind of guided us as we looked at what would it be like what would it be like if we treat this day, this 24-hour period of time, as resistance to a world that's trying to oppress something onto us? And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to talk a little bit more about Sabbath. Today, we're going to look at Sabbath as this 24-hour period of time where we are invited to experience delight again, to experience delight again. And I wish I could stand up here and tell you that I've done Sabbath really well all my life, and so these are the things I've learned along the way. And that's not true. I just, I haven't had a healthy Sabbath practice in my life. But in the last few weeks, and in preparation for this, I've found some new things that have stirred in a different way. And over, a little over a month ago, I was with a friend and this friend asked me how I was doing, and that's kind of a broad question, and sometimes when I get broad questions, I, ask, I consider, like, what question do I wish they asked me, and then I answer that one. And so I told him, I'm okay, like, work is busy, like, things are fast, and I think I told him, everything feels full. Life is full right now. And it was my attempt at, like, making busy sound better, but they were the same thing, right? And, he, and so he asked me, like, so what are you going to do about that? And I told him my plan this next month to reorganize everything on my schedule and commitments and say no better so that I can open up some margin again and, and enter into a better rhythm. And what he, does, what he did in this situation, this is what a good friend can do. I think a good friend can help you see what you can't see. And he introduced me to this idea that maybe I wasn't treating my own space very well. See, less than 24 hours after that conversation around, I feel full, I feel busy, I left on a plane with my wife to go celebrate our 10-year anniversary in Tuscany, and that was beautiful. And we got there, and I was surprised at the pace. I was just surprised, because Italians operate very differently than we do here in the States. And Italians, there's almost like not a clock in the room. It's almost like they live according to a different calendar. We would go to dinner at night at like 9 o'clock, and there was, people would just kind of wander in, and there was no defined time of when things would end. It just ended when it ended. And you'd get up the next day, and shops would be open. Maybe they'd be closed. Who knows? The same shop might be open or closed. Who really knows? And what I had to struggle with was this tension between how I was raised here in the States and what I found so lovely about this space in Tuscany. See, in the States, what we find ourselves is that we really appreciate efficiency. We really appreciate achievement, which is great. 
which is beautiful, and comes with some stuff, and comes with some stuff to be aware of. See, as Americans, we have the least amount of paid time off of any developed nation. I don't think that's a surprise to you, but this is just true. We have about two weeks every year that you are invited to kind of allocate however you want. And interestingly, only 54% of us, so like half of us in here, take advantage of those two weeks. Many of us don't get that. We work a lot. On average, the, the average American works 47 hours a week, which is just a matter of truth. I was, I was with somebody a couple months ago, and he told me he was working 65 hours a week for the last couple years, right? And as you listened to what else was going on in his story, it became really clear that that was probably tilting him a certain way. Right, there's 135 other countries in the world that actually have legislation in place preventing like, citizens from being employed more than 38 hours a week, which is just interesting, something to consider. Germany, actually, the average German works 35 hours a week, which is just interesting to consider. And as we were walking around Tuscany, we, I, I think this pace changed a little bit of how I want to treat my normal, ordinary, and everyday experience here. And it, and it opened up this conversation of, do I desire vacation, holiday, to be this time that I escape the realities of my life to find rest from? And I was embarrassed to admit that, that this is how I become accustomed to my normal day, to my normal week. And it feels a little bit well, confessional, but it feels a little bit like I have to leave my life to find rest from it. And I think there's something we can learn if we get into Scripture. And so if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to turn with me to Mark chapter 2. And we're going to look at a passage beginning in verse 23 of where Jesus and the Pharisees have a conflict, like how unusual, right? Have a conflict together. And it reads, One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And he answered, Have you never read what David did? when he and his companions were hungry and in need. In the days of Abathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And then he gave some to his companions, and then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath even of the Sabbath. So the scene we're faced with here in Mark is Jesus and his disciples traveling through Galilee, walking through a field, picking off ripe grain, placing them in their hand, rubbing their hands together to break apart the chaff, blowing the chaff away, and then consuming the grain. Like, that's what we see going on in this story. And these Pharisees, it is a Sunday, so they're not working, but they are clearly on the job, as they're like lurking around trying to find Jesus doing something that they can catch him and blame him for. And so this controversy begins to surface. 
namely, what activities and behaviors are permissible on the Sabbath, and what activities and behaviors are impermissible on the Sabbath? What can we do, and what can we not do? See, the Pharisees saw what Jesus and the disciples were doing as a violation of rabbinic law, which is this collection of 613 commandments, right? 365 negative ones, like, don't do that stuff, and 248 positive ones. So do these things, and what they saw specifically on this Sabbath is speaking to the Talmud, which is this collection of 39 instructions for how to participate in the Sabbath, two of which were about harvesting and travel, what you can do and what you can't do on the Sabbath. And, so, and, the, and some of these laws went even further. They would talk about you can and cannot bind things on the Sabbath, right? So you couldn't tie your shoe or really untie your shoe on the Sabbath or sandal, I suppose. Or you couldn't, you couldn't ignite a fire and you could not extinguish a fire. So you couldn't have your Sabbath barbecue and football game, and you couldn't put your house out if it did catch on fire. Which is interesting, because in this space, we sometimes hear Ladder 16 drive through the town, right? And that would have been a violation of Sabbath. Perhaps when we hear the fire truck in the future, we might consider, do I feel like I'm honoring or dishonoring this day, the Sabbath day, with what I've got planned the rest of today? So these institutes were kind of how people governed these two days. See, according to the Pharisees, they would argue that if Jesus and his disciples did not thoughtfully prepare for the Sabbath, then they wouldn't eat if they didn't prepare to on the Sabbath. So they would just go hungry. See, they're taking the side of the Talmud. And what Jesus does is different. See, he responds in augmenting the system that everybody's playing in. See, according to Jesus, the disciples weren't they weren't gathering this wheat in order to, like, sell it and turn a profit. They were gathering this wheat in order to eat it, to consume it, so that they could be nourished. So they could nourish their bodies. And so what Jesus is doing here is, he's, is he is arguing a precedent of humans' importance over these formulaic obediences. See, what he's communicating is there's this day during the week when the singular importance is to nourish ourselves. See, there's this space, this space in the week called the Sabbath, where we believe that we are invited to delight again in his delight for us. In his delight for us. Dan Allender, a, uh, he's a professor up in the Pacific Northwest, he says this uh, about Sabbath. He says, our war is not with exhaustion and our driven obscience to work. These are related, but mere consequences of a deeper war. Our war is against the possibility that God truly desires for us, the kind of delight and joy that would make our silly obsessions with work look like futzing over an airline bag of peanuts when outside our window is Mount Rainier in all her winter glory, waiting for the passenger to look and gasp in amazement. I read that and I wonder if I treat my Sabbath as gasping in amazement. When was the last time I gasped in amazement on a Sabbath day? 
And when we read that the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath, whereas the message translates it and really helps me, says the, the Sabbath was made to serve us. We were not made to serve the Sabbath. What it's inviting us to see is that the Sabbath is a feast day. It is a day within this week where we get to participate in remembering our experience in Eden, where we sat beside God. And it actually awakens us in anticipation for that new heaven. What it does is it recognizes that the kingdom come has for this day. The kingdom come has come for this day. For this day. See, on the Sabbath, we get to learn how to pretend. And I think this involves some of the imagination, and I think it allows some curiosities to begin to surface. And Abraham Joshua Heschel, the Jewish theologian, talks about Sabbath this way. He says, rest on the Sabbath as if all your work were done. That sounds like pretend to me. Right? Rest as if there, that Monday doesn't exist. Rest as if you don't need to complete any more tasks. Rest as if everything is already done. Rest even from the thought of working. See, we don't rest because things are all done and complete. We rest because it's time to, because it's the Sabbath and it's time to. So I would invite us to encounter Sabbath as a little bit of pretend in this sense, to pretend during the Sabbath that everything that needs to be getting done is getting done. 